0: You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. We're going to be looking at chapter one, and if you don't know, it's written by Moses. It is um, a wonderful book, and uh, it has a a special place in my heart, really. Um, When I was 16, uh, our family dynamic was kind of changing, and there was a lot of uh, drama in the, in the Barry home. And I, at 16, I, my, my dad sent me to my grandparents for the summer while things kind of settled down. And as a 16-year-old, going to my grandparents' house was not... Uh, for the summer, wasn't the thing that I really wanted to do. They lived about eight hours away. I, I grew up on the Chesapeake Bay, and they lived in Abington, uh, Virginia. So it was a lot of hills, and there was a Taco Bell there. That was, that's what it had. And so uh, I, being there, I, was, uh, I didn't have my friends, right? I didn't have my normal environment. I didn't have my dogs. I didn't have my car, my stuff. And um, I, was, I was a little bit frustrated by everything. And my grandmother, knowing that I was uh, a little down about life... Uh, that I I didn't have all the things that I found interesting at my fingertips. She said, "I have an idea. Let's read the Bible together, Jeremy." Now, as a 16-year-old unbelieving teen, that was the last thing I wanted to do. I didn't have any desire to read the Bible with grandmother, and but she she kept insisting, and eventually I said, "Fine, fine, fine, fine. Let's let's read the Bible. What, what do you what do you want to? Well, I guess let's open it up and start." And she opened up to Matthew. Which, if you know, it's like it's it's a lot in the middle, but it's on the you know it's towards it's the New Testament, right? And I and I and I like, I had done a book before by this point in life, and I said, listen, I know how to, I know how books work. You don't start in the middle of a book. You start you start at the beginning. And she insisted we start in uh, Matthew because she wanted to get me the gospel. But I, I was too strong headed, and we start in Genesis. Now, as we as we read Genesis, as an outsider, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, right? Uh, as I was hearing Genesis. As, as an outsider, it was weird, right? The book of Genesis is weird. Now, we've become accustomed to it, but there's some strange stuff in Genesis. And, and as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, like, what? What is this? This is crazy. And she got to Sodom and Gomorrah. And I remember, like, grandmother, you can't talk like that, right? She's talking about, you know, like, you know, where, where men are trying to have sex with the angels. And I'm like, grandma, no, 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 no. You can't say those words. You don't know those words, you know? And and I'm like taken back, and I remember saying to her, uh, I thought this book was about love and stuff. That was a book about love and stuff. And she said to me, Oh, Jeremy, it is about love. But it does have a lot of interesting stuff. And and that summer, I'm telling you, I look so fondly back at it. I did as a kid too, because I knew when I left Abington. Virginia that that um, I know I know despite not having all the interesting things that I was used to having um, that I found something that mattered and the same lesson can be said about Genesis as a whole when again as my Grandmother read it, I remember getting caught up in the age of the earth and why did God make Satan, when did he make Satan and the angels, and Adam and Eve's belly buttons, and Nephilim, did did bugs die before the fall, did cells die before the fall, and if they didn't, what does that mean for the whole digestive system? I remember thinking about these questions and being really intrigued by it, but grandmother keeping telling me, like, that's not the point. And so I would love to you to come to you this morning and be like, because I just... If you don't know me, I love weird stuff. I love weird and interesting stuff. I love the weird stuff in Genesis 1, because it's there and throughout Genesis, but it would be a great disservice if I came to you this morning and we only focused on the weird. Now, there is an avenue where we're going to focus on the interesting and weird because I can't just leave it alone, but it's not going to be on Sunday mornings. There are a lot of interesting and weird stuff, but it's not the point of Genesis. My goal is that as we read through this, we can focus on what matters. Genesis is about God from beginning to end. And we see that God creates with an intention to make himself known. And so we'd be foolish if we fail to reflect on his character in which he has obviously revealed to us in creation. So, if you're a weirdo, if you like weird stuff like me, right, um, there will be an avenue to talk about those things. Um, but as for now, we are going to talk about what matters in the themes, the major themes we see in Genesis chapter 1. That is God created, God ordered, and God rested. Let us pray before we unpack it all. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you that we could be here today as we open your word, as we set this time aside to worship you and to be in all of you. Lord, please use your word to correct us where we need corrected, to train us up in righteousness. Lord, we love you, and you're the reason why we're here. You're the reason why we worship. You're the reason why we live. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first point is God is created. Genesis 1 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, what we see is that God chooses to create. He's a creative God who chooses to create a world that is beautiful, that is lovely, that is diverse in smells, sounds, textures, and feelings, and creatures. My family loves, I love, we did this the other night, we tried to do like a bracket of the cutest creatures on the planet, the ugliest creatures on the planet. We like to Google just the the scariest things in the sea, just so we can marvel at the weirdness and the craziness and the creativity of God. But we see that scripture tells us that creation is to testify to something. Look at Psalms 19.1. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So what does creation say about a creator? What is it declaring? What is it testifying? More than anyone, Christians should be able to look at the world and marvel at who God is, at his creativity, at his willingness to provide resources, food, enjoyment, everything from the sound of rain to the taste of honeydew to a bird's song, all of it, to breathe it in and enjoy it. your ability to take it all in, to see the colorful portrait that God has crafted. That's a privilege as a Christian to know the artist behind the masterpiece. One that I think we take far too lightly one that we forget about in the 21st century world, in a busy world where we exist in concrete walls and concrete cities and we live in a digital world more and more and more and we fail to get out and just enjoy that our God made a life that's not black and white, but it's filled with color, filled with sounds, that he gives you taste buds, that you can, I mean, everything could be bland if he wanted it, but he didn't do that, did he? He did something far greater than that. The other day... I was getting, I live off exit 40 in Scott Depot, and I was getting, um, I was getting on the exit, coming to work, and uh, I noticed as I was at the stoplight, there was a man pulled over, and he had his phone out, and he was taking a picture uh, towards the, the sunrise. And I thought, my, at first I thought, what on earth is this man doing? What is he? Why, it's too early to be getting out of your car and taking pictures of stuff. I'm a little grumpy in the morning. I'm like, what is, what is he doing? I don't, I don't like that he's doing that for some reason. It irritated me. And, and then it, it hit me, right? As I was passing this car, I saw that he's like from one of the lamer states in the Union, like Kansas or something, right? And he doesn't have anything cool to look at in Kansas, and corn. And so here he is. It's this beautiful sunset in this beautiful terrain. I drive by it every single day, and I miss it. And this dude from Kansas is blown away by it so much that he gets out in 40-degree temperature with his phone at who knows what time in the morning taking a picture of it. When I thought about it. I think how often we become numb to the everyday beauty that God has created that's supposed to testify to who He is. And we just miss it completely. Sometimes, sadly, as Christians, we lose that all of creation. Right? Creation becomes a nuisance, something bothersome. And I know I forget too often. So I try to remind myself that God created all all the senses to enjoy. And as I was thinking about that, I said, okay, it's not just to enjoy. Right, I, I do have taste and, and smells, and I can see beautiful things. It's not to just enjoy; it's also to warn. Right? Uh, if if it, you know your your senses may tell you, you you haven't emptied the trash, or that your baby has something rotten happening going on. <laughs> right? It, if something's burning, it, whether it's a warning or whether it's a it's a, a blessing, either way, it's a grace to you. And it really does proclaim his kindness. Now, I want you to do this. This passage isn't going to be on the screen. So and I, I know I w- really do want you to turn to Romans 1. Just get, turn on your Bible, look at your Bible. Find Romans 1 real quick for me because I want you to pay very close attention to something. He tells us that humanity has the opportunity to know God through creation. We call that general revelation, right? Scripture is special revelation. Knowing, seeing uh, something about God and nature is general revela- uh, revelation. Uh, look at verse 19 of chapter 1 it says for what can be known about god is plain to them he's speaking to the lost world because god has shown it to them well what has god shown to them verse 20 for his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and watch how the lost world responds God's grace of creation, verse 22 and 23, claiming to be wise, they become fools in exchange to the glory of the immortal God for the image resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creepy things. Right? They, they worship the creation rather than the creator. They reject God with their mind and their hearts grow dark. They have become fools denying God's existence. Now my fifth favorite work friend, Will Basham, He gets excited about a few things in life. Uh, Ailates, he likes motorcycles, um, and telescopes, believe it or not. The dude loves himself some telescopes. And he was really excited, isn't it, uh, about the James Webb telescope and the pictures that were coming back. If you don't know anything about it, just ask him, he'll talk about it forever. But uh, make sure you just, you don't have any plans for the rest of the day. But, but... There was this live recording of the James Webb Telescope, and he was so excited to watch it. And as a, as a, you know, trying to be a good work friend, I I watched it and listened to it, so I could have something to talk to him about. And um, as they were looking at the galaxies and the stars and the planets and the vast universe, that, that that it was it was incredible. It was interesting what they all kept saying. I'm not making this up. They kept saying, oh, they probably five or six times. They kept going, this is so incredible. It looks like it's designed. How did it get like this? We'll never know. when they get over and over, it looks like it's designed. And there on live TV, we could see people suppressing the truth, shown to them clearly by the Creator, and the best they can do is praise the creation. So let me stress something to you. Do not be foolish. How quickly we can either worship creation or forget why it's there altogether. Now, in history, other religions of the world, their gods worked with co-eternal material. But the God of the Bible is, is different and it stresses it to you in its words. He creates out of nothing. That's the words that are used in Genesis 1. He created out of nothing. When this God, when he started creating, he created time itself, a concept that we can't comprehend, because we're temporal beings. We've always existed on a timeline. But there was a time where time was not, but God was. It doesn't make sense. But what we see is out of nothing, God made everything. And I love, you learn this in what, seventh grade science? That matter cannot be created nor destroyed? That all the matter that exists today existed in the beginning? With all of our scientific advances, with our greatest minds, we as humans cannot create matter. But God did it with a word. What was impossible for us, he did with a word revealing both that he is the source of all power and that he's omnipotent. Look at Colossians 1, 16 and 17. It says, For by him all things were created, in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I love this. Right, much of his creation not even seen. We have visible and an invisible creation, and, and it's not just talking about atoms and uh, protons, neutrons, and electrons, like the building blocks of the physical world. There's an entire unseen realm that God has created, with angels and seraphim and creatures who are singing to His glory, worshiping Him. Look at verse 16. Both in the seen and unseen realm, right? They're both held together by Him. But what I love is that we see why it's created. It's created for him. Creation exists for his purpose. That is his glory alone. And consequently for our good. I think of the obedience of nature as I read through the Gospels. It says, when, you know, when, the, when the men marveled and asked, what sort of man is this that even the winds and seas obey him? Well, he's the wind's creator. When they marveled at the wedding and pondered how the water was turned into wine, well, it's because he's the water's creator. When the disciples said, how on earth are we going to feed all these people with five loaves and two fish, they forgot he is the fish and the grain's creator. Think of the song we sing before the sermon. The stars were made to worship, so will I. If the mountains bow in reverence, so will I. The song makes sense to us, right? We understand the premise. If all of creation is to obey, that includes us as people created in His image. Who are we to dis- disobey our Creator? Who are we to seek the throne of God, refusing to submit to our designer? Paul echoes this in Romans 9. He says, has the pot or no right over the clay? It's a rhetorical question. Because of course he does. He has full dominion over you. He is your master. Just as much as the wind or the sea, the stars or the fig, he's your creator. And this creator who holds it all together he could, think about it, think of the power. He could speak you and I out of existence for our sin. I try to tell this, I explain this to my kids. I'm like, he, he, could, he could Thanos snap you with, with, with nothing, right? It, it, without, with it easier than that. He chooses that you exist. But rather than meeting our sin with our destruction, Christian, he blesses you. He loves you. He gifts you. He promises you that you will inherit a kingdom that you don't deserve. So my prayer today is that when you look at creation, you see the power of the God that you serve, but you also see a powerful God who came and served you. He served you and died for you. A God with that immense amount of power loves you. The next point we have is that God ordered. Scripture tells us that God is a God of order, and we actually see this on display in creation. Look at day one, right? Day one, verses three and five, God created time, right? Making time naturally gives order. Things happen one after another. Uh, After this, we have day two, God created the seas and the skies. Day three, God created the sun and the moon. Day five, God created swimming and flying creatures. Day six, God created land creatures and man. We see that God establishes order, distinguishing types of animals, types of terrain. Notice God distinguishes night and day, morning from night. And in verse 27, it says So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female. He created them. We see male and female. God ordered humanity into two types, not an infinite. Not self-defined, but male and female. And the point is, God gives order and structure. Now, stay with me. Look at verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, and, of, and other uh, every living thing that moves on the earth. He goes to giving order to the cosmos, to giving specific orders to created beings. Right, Adam and Eve, go go make babies and be productive. Right, make babies and do stuff. And he makes a, a hierarchy even. Right, uh, humans, you're at the top, and all of creation, you're to subdue it and have dominion over it. He's subleasing creation. Now, I know some of you might be like, "All right, that's cool. God's really organized. <laughs> super cool jeremy my My hope is you can see the the bigger picture a more maybe a more practical picture if i I, I want to use a churchy word uh it's the word liturgy, and liturgy is simply something, it's the unfolding of something. Typically we use the word liturgy as it pertains to like a church service, like how, you know, we do three songs, uh, you know, a sermon, communion, song, right? That's a, a liturgy of a service. But, but liturgy doesn't, it, it simply is how something unfolds. When we look at creation, right, when we look at Genesis 1, we see that God, the same God who created seasons, what he did is he created a cosmic liturgy. Right? There's winter, spring, fall, summer. We, we, we know the order of these things. Right? We know how the seasons land. We're never shocked by what season's coming next. Right? After spring, we're not like, wait, winter never shows up. As much as I would love that, it never happens. Right? So it, it's, there's a cosmic liturgy that God has put in design. It's put in order. It's the same God... The same God that gives this cosmic liturgy is the same one who gives a yearly liturgy, yearly holidays to the Old Testament church. Passover, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, other feasts that have something to say actually about creation itself. It's the same God who cares and instructs how a church service is supposed to be done. God actually in the Bible says how many people should speak in a church service. Who should speak and teach in a church service? who teaches on the flow of these things. He is the same God who cares about order and healthy rhythms and the structure, not just of creation, but of human lives. He's a God who cares about order. You see it in the stars, and we should see it in our daily living. Each day, Christian, each day, we should have a christ Centered liturgy individually, not just on Sunday, Monday through Saturday, a liturgy where our Creator is front and center in our lives now give God gives some aspects of what should be part of our daily liturgy as it unfolds, right the stir of the word up in your heart talk about the Bible when you get up, when you lay down as much as you can in between, keep the word ever before you, pray without ceasing. These are components of what should make up the Christian liturgy daily. But at some point, we got this idea that God is totally cool if we as individuals in our day-to-day forfeit the beautiful order of a Christ-centered liturgy for the chaotic and unruly. Whether it's personal devotions, or times of prayer and fasting, times of discipling our children or reading Scripture with our wives. Right? Too often, right, we, we have forfeited a, a Christ-centered liturgy to the point where now we're desperately just trying to squeeze a little religion in when we can. When we have time, when an opportunity allows itself. Listen, when we forfeit that individual liberty that ought to be and have Christ at the center, it is no surprise to me that our faithfulness struggles in Christian living. It's no surprise to me that service struggles. I'm not surprised with marital struggles. It's what happens when something other than Christ becomes the epicenter in which you Rotate your entire life around. It's what happens when something other than Christ becomes the center of our days, of our weeks, and of our years. Imagine if you came to church this morning and we forgot to read the word. We just didn't do it. We didn't sing a song to Jesus. We weren't praising him. Right? We forgot to mention Jesus altogether. You would say that that wasn't a Christian service. Why? Because the gospel was never seen in its liturgy. Well, a personal liturgy that is Christless, it's just existing. It's not really living. It's not living in the way that God has designed you to live, that has ordered you to live, and structured you to live. It's just existing. Not living on mission. It's definitely not being obedient to the order that your Creator gave. When we look at the sun rise and we see the sun set, the Lord tells us it's a time for seasons. Sometimes it's a season of Lent and sacrifice, sometimes it's a season for joy and thanksgiving, but it's always the season for devotion. There's never a day under the sun where the Christian's daily liturgy should not be Christ-focused and gospel-driven. I think it would be really good for all of us to really reflect what do our days and our weeks revolve around. Does it revolve around the Son of God or something else? I think when you reflect on that, you'll find what you really worship. Just as predictable as the sun is, so should be the praises of God's people. Now, part of that order and structure that God has given, uh, part of your weekly liturgy is found in creation, and it's also found in the law of God. And that's how important this last piece is. right? God has stressed it so much. He showed you his order, he's creator, and he wants you to implement this part of the order into your daily liturgy, or to your weekly liturgy. And that's the final point, which is God rested. Genesis 2, 1 through 3 reads, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work and that he had done. And he had rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Of course, God didn't need to rest, right? He wasn't tired. His muscles weren't getting weak. God was done creating. And he's setting the example of what needs to be done or how, what should be done. Um, if you're a parent, you may do this. We, we did this, uh, Julie and I, uh, when our kids were a little bit younger. Uh, we would walk around at night and we would you know, go through our nightly liturgy out loud. Right, We wanted to teach our kids how the nightly liturgy should unfold. So we'd say, uh, all right, now it's time we put on our jam jams. All right, now it's time. I call them jam-jams, all right? So, uh, all right, now it's time we brush our teeth. All right, now it's time for devotions. We would say out loud and publicly declare, what's the next step? Now, I do talk to myself. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to deny that. But I don't normally verbalize what my nightly routine is. If no one wasn't there, I'm like, all right, Jeremy, now it's time to brush your teeth. Like, that's not what's happening. I'm doing this because I'm directly teaching my kid what a what a healthy and good routine that they need to adopt is, right? They need to grasp onto this. Your heavenly Father is doing the same for you. But we are like typical kids when God says you need to rest, you need to sabbath, we refuse. I'm not tired yet. I don't want to do that. I, you refuse? I got to do this. I got to do that. It's always when it's time for bed in the Berry home. Um, you know, my kids are homeschooled, so they wake up a little later and go to bed a little later than most. But, you know, my kids go to bed around 10. I'm like, all right, Claire, it's time for bed. It's always at 10 o'clock. She's like, Dad, I really want to clean my room. I'm like, <laughs> all right. I know how this works. We, we have, but, but it's true. Like, like kids, we never want to stop sewing down. I don't know how many times I've gone to my kids about, it's time to rest, it's time to go to bed. And I have to have that same speech with myself. It's time to rest. The church isn't going to fall apart if you turn off your phone. The world isn't going to fall apart if I stop working. It's time to rest. To try to stress this in our home, we made up a holiday because that's what we do. Um, It's called All Night's Day. We, uh, one night, it's usually in the spring, we pick it, and uh, I wake them up super early. Again, they're homeschool, so not, they're, they don't know real early. So like 7.30 is real early to them. So we wake them up at 7.30, and they're like, oh gosh, what is this? 7.30. And uh, they, they're, they play all day. They play hard. They go outside. They enjoy creation, right? They enjoy it to its fullness. And then when it comes bedtime, we say, you can stay up as late as you want. And it sounds a little crazy. And usually they make it to about five in the morning. And they they collapse, Maddox. Like he just turns into a puddle. He doesn't. He's not even moving. But this last last year, he uh, uh, he said, "Dad, can you just carry me to bed? I just want to go to sleep so bad." And in that moment, in that moment, they got to see the beauty of rest. And so what we do is we open up Genesis and we read where God made Sabbath and told us in His law that we are to rest and that it's good for you. But sometimes in the day-to-day grind, we forget it all together in adults because no one tells you to rest. We forget to do it. There's a few principles to the Sabbath that I want you to see, and you can see them in the order in which he created, right? God uses um, the Sabbath all throughout Scripture to echo this continuing truth that, that God's work is enough, That what God has provided, it's enough. When you Sabbath, it's trusting the provision of the Lord. When you don't Sabbath, you're not trusting in the provision of the Lord. And the law, the Old Testament church, was not to work on the Sabbath. On the seventh year, this is crazy, in the seventh year... They weren't allowed to work the the land and the animals. It's in Leviticus 25. The lands and the animals got to Sabbath. They weren't allowed to work the land for a year. That means you better be planning year after year, right? Your yearly liturgy is around keeping God's law because you love him. God, I'm going to honor you with this. The concept was God has given you enough and you need to see it in your lives that he's given you his he's provided more than enough for you it foreshadows something beautiful that god has provided for you not only in the material but what god has provided for you in the atonement it's enough sabbath is a holy rest where we can remember the words of jesus it is finished where God rested on the seventh day of creation, it wasn't until Good Friday that he declared it finished. And what I love to think about is that next morning, that next Saturday morning, the next Sabbath morning, that the disciples, unbeknownst to them, were hiding and terrified. Little did they know that they could actually rest. They could rest in the work of the Lord. Now, I'm not a Sabbatarian. I don't think Sabbath has to be on the seventh day. It doesn't have to be on Saturday. But a Sabbath does need to exist in your life. It is for your good, and it means, it doesn't mean, by the way, you have to sit and stare at a blank wall and, like, pray all day. But what it does mean is that you need to be restful. You can can do things that you enjoy. You can go on walks, throw frisbee. I love to write. I love to write on the Sabbath, Right? I told you Will is looking at his telescopes on the Sabbath probably. You can join him with that. But it's just doing something and marveling at who God is and being thankful that he has provided all that he's provided and that his provision is enough. Sabbath is not a suggestion. It's a part of God's law. I want to say that again. Sabbath is not a suggestion for you. It is God's command for you. We should obey it out of love. Look at Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to rest, or to the Lord your God. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. We don't Sabbath so that we can earn righteousness for ourselves, right? We rest because salvation has been earned for us. There's, there's no more work to be done. And we're acknowledging that with our hands and with our feet. But how difficult it is for people to rest. Sometimes it's a challenge. But I would ask that you reflect on how often you Sabbath, how often you exercise this holy rest, this rhythm that we see in creation that we're to replicate. Mark 2, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. right? So it, we see God who's wiser than you and I says, hey, you need this. It's for you. It's a gift to you to rest. So you can remember that you can, that you can rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Just as you can trust in the provision of creation, you can trust in his provision for salvation. And I know, I know that we could have opened up in Genesis one and talked about a lot of weirder things. We could have talked about the the age of the earth and had a fun debate about that. And I love those interesting things, but I bring this to you because I think it's most necessary. It's most essential and it's most foundational and, and it's so easily forgotten. That in his infinite grace, God created to show us who he is. That he gave order so that we would mimic and order our lives around his truths as a daily reminder. And that he gave us the Sabbath to reflect on those truths and to remember that we are secure in him, by him, and through his life, death, and resurrection. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.